Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Margaret Gardner, your host for today's discussion on communicating with donors during a crisis. Our guest today is Pete Griffin, President and CEO of Musicians on Call. Welcome, Pete. Hey, thank you, Margaret. I appreciate you uh, having me on today. We appreciate you being here. Uh, Musicians on Call brings live music, either virtually or in person, to the bedsides of hospital patients around the country. It was ranked number nine, the number ninth best nonprofit to work for in America in 2021 by the Nonprofit Times. Pete led in developing the organization from a small regional charity to the largest charity in America that delivers music to patients' bedsides. And he was recognized in 2017, 2019, and 2020 by the Nashville Business Journal as the most admired nonprofit CEO in Nashville. That's quite an honor, Pete. Prior to Musicians on Call, Pete was the Director of Corporate and Strategic Partnerships for the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and held leadership positions with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Arizona, the Energy Action Coalition, and MTV Networks. Thanks again for joining us today, Pete. We're really excited to have you here on the Beacon Podcast. No, it looks great. I enjoy talking about things like this because I think it's always helpful for you know us in the nonprofit world to learn from one another's you know successes as well as mistakes. And so, if there's anything I could share that is helpful to folks, I'd, I'd love to do so. Great, thank you. And and I know a lot of um, nonprofits found themselves in uncharted territory with the pandemic and and all of the chaos and upheaval that that caused. And You recently were a guest on a Lighthouse Council panel discussion on the latest Giving USA report. And that report, of course, talked a lot about the coronavirus pandemic and its effect on giving. So, and I thought what you said about musicians on calls approach to donor communication at that time was was really fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. And, you know, it's interesting because our approach as the pandemic began was really in many ways, not any different than our approach normally, which is that for us, our relationships with our supporters, whether that's our volunteers or our donors, are really genuine. I mean, these are folks that we know care about us and our mission, and we in turn care about them and are grateful for all their support, however they might contribute. And so as the pandemic you know, came about in March of 2020, our first thought as a team and my first thought as as the leader of the organization was really, how are people doing? You know, this was a crisis that, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're all humans first before anything else. And I knew this was going to be a tough time for everybody, you know, and it's something that affected everybody. And so that is really where we started in terms of our relationships with our donors when the pandemic set, which is really, let's just check in with people. Let's see how they're doing personally. Are they are they healthy? Uh, how are they feeling? Are they nervous? Are they scared? How is their business doing? Are they affected by it, you know, in a good way or a bad way? And in doing so, at the end of the day, even though our outreach and communications with donors at that time wasn't calculated, it really came from a genuine place of concern. I do think it helped us really deepen our relationships with them because it just really, I think, solidified the fact that we care about our donors. They're part of this musicians on call family, and. They're not just a name on a spreadsheet. Um, they're not just someone that we, uh, you know, send a, a letter to during the holidays for an end of year donation. These are people that 
we communicate with year round and we really appreciate them and, and care about them. And so I think that meant a lot to people. And I think, again, before the pandemic, it, it meant a lot to people that that's really our approach with donors. And I think in doing so, it really helped generate support as well organically. I mean, I can't even tell you how many donations we got from people that were unsolicited last year just because they appreciated us checking in with them and appreciated us, you know, updating them on what's going on with us and and uh, expressing our concern for them. So I think that was one thing that we, you know, that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. I think as the pandemic went on, though, we also... Uh, you know, adopted new ways of communicating with donors because, you know, personally, I I spend a lot of time on the road because I value the in-person connection that we we have with our volunteers, our donors, our partners, our supporters. And so I travel around to where we have programs across the country and really try to, you know, spend as much time as I can with these people. So obviously that wasn't happening during the pandemic. So, you know, we utilize technology, which is something that we've done a lot uh, through our history here at Musicians on Call. And we did everything from, uh, you know, setting up uh, special Zooms uh, with with donors to sending up personalized videos. And um, it's funny, I, Lighthouse Council, who we work with, recommended using this platform called CauseVid. And it's a way just to kind of streamline sending, you know, personalized videos to people. I joke around if people know Cameo, which is a place where you could you know, you pay a certain amount of money and you can get a celebrity to send you a video. I said, basically, CauseVid is like a poor man's cameo, except you're getting a message from someone that you probably don't want to hear from and you certainly don't want to pay for, uh, which is me. Um, but it was a great tool for us to um, just say thank you to folks and just touch in with them in a personalized way. And again, that really meant so much to people because it wasn't some generic video that like, hey, here's an update for everyone. This is what's going on with musicians on call. Like I was literally creating videos for individuals and thanking them and recapping our conversation and some next steps. And I think during the during 2020, I sent over 500 of those videos uh, to people individually, you know, just to thank them or check up on them. And so I guess this is all to say that you know, musicians on call and, and me personally, I think our philosophy around fundraising is that it is personal and it, it's relationship driven. And even though there's really successful, you know, formulas that people use to kind of cultivate donors and, and make the ask, um, sometimes we take a little bit more time because honestly, we just genuinely want to get to know people and get a feel for them and what their interests are and why they want to support us or what they're interested in supporting you know, before we, um, you know, ask people for their support. And I know that those who are listening will have latched on to something that you said uh, that this outreach, which came out of a, a you know, a, a spot of genuine concern actually did generate gifts. Can you just talk about that for a second? Like what kind of results? I, I don't even want to say results because that wasn't your intention, but what kind of response as far as gifts did you did you see from that? Yeah, well, here's I think here's an interesting stat I can share is those CauseVid videos that I sent, which were just videos I would sent about a minute long, just checking in with people, thanking them for their support, hoping that they're doing well. Those obviously are not, I wasn't making asks over a pre-recorded video. 
Um, but those videos alone probably raised thirty or forty thousand dollars for us just from people donating to us after they got the video because they were so touched that they got a a personalized video from me. So that's one way that those types of communications helped us during the pandemic. The other thing too is that I think here's one of our challenges as an organization is that we operate in hospitals. And unless you're a volunteer of ours, you can't go into a hospital and see the impact of our program um, because it's not like you know many other charities where you can take pictures and video and you can show people you know what's going on on the ground. We could tell them you know stories on occasion. We can get clearances to do videos, but in terms of the day-to-day interaction, that's not something that we can share with our donors, which makes it a little bit harder for us to develop that emotional connection because of it. Now that being said, with the pandemic and us doing virtual visits to hospitals over Zoom, in a lot of the cases when we did these Zoom visits, we would get clearances because we were doing video and we wanted to make sure we were abiding by, you know, the HIPAA and confidentiality regulations that exist in hospitals with patients. And so because we had those clearances and we got permission from the people that were in the videos um, to be recorded, we were able to share those videos and record those videos and and share them, you know, on socials or with some of our our donors. And when they could actually see our programs taking place and the impact that they were having, and the fact that not only are these kids in hospitals scared about the cancer that they're fighting, but now they could only have, you know, one parent visit at a time, or they can't have any of their siblings or friends or extended family visit them. Um, And there's no volunteers walking around to support them. And so these videos really showed the stress and anxiety and fear that so many patients and caregivers had. And so being able to share those with donors and uh, allow them to see the impact of our programs, um, which to be clear, if people aren't familiar, you know, we bring live music to hospitals. We have musicians that are playing for people to help them, uh, you know, feel better. And there's scientific data that shows, you know, how music helps people actually heal. So seeing those videos allowed us to also generate some support because people saw the impact and they said, hey, this is something I want to get behind. I want to give back. I want to support caregivers and patients during the pandemic. And this is a very tangible way we can do so. And so we ended up being able to, you know, garner a lot of support from individuals as well as, you know, corporate donors that wanted to help people during the pandemic. That is really fascinating. And I think it's something that nonprofits of all types can learn from as far as making things personal and bringing things right to your supporters so that they can really get a sense of of what it is that you do. But I also want to talk about the way you reacted when the pandemic first started with your staff. I know that that must have made a difference. So what was the way that you approached this with your staff? Yeah. So, you know, again, it goes back to my philosophy with donors, which is that our, our people are the most important part of an organization. And I tell, you know, as I talk to other, you know, nonprofit leaders that are working on developing strategic plans and reorganizing their businesses, you know, the advice I always give them is it has to start with your people. You can have the best strategic plan in the world, the best mission, most amazing goals. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the right team there to put it together, then none of it really matters. And so my first priority always is our team. And so... Again, with the pandemic, I really spent a lot of time thinking about how I could support the team, how we could support one another. Um, You know, one of the things that we talk about as a team all the time is that everybody should come to work every single day feeling excited about what they're doing, feeling trusted, feeling respected, and feeling challenged. And those things were 
a little bit harder at times during the pandemic because it's hard to get excited when you're sitting in your living room on a laptop and you can't leave your house. It's hard to feel, I mean, it was easy to feel challenged because we had a lot of challenges, but maybe some of these challenges were a bit overwhelming. So we spent a lot of time figuring out how we could support the staff better. And there's, I think there's a number of things that we did um, that ended up being helpful. The first thing was, I think, recognizing the issue that existed. And for me, one of the most powerful things I was able to realize was that everyone's experience during the pandemic is unique. If you're married with two kids, if you're married with one kid, if you're, you know, single but have a roommate, or if you're single and living alone, everyone's experience was completely different depending upon their living situation. And so that is something we tried to take into consideration that, hey, well, some some people might feel like, hey, this is great. I get to spend more time with my family and I can walk the dogs during the day and everything. For a staff member that's by themselves in their own apartment alone every day, it wasn't as funny as some other people might feel. And so because of that, we made sure that we frequently checked in with one another. Again, not just about work, but just about personally about how they're doing. We tried to create some fun things like virtual games that we that we did with one another, you know, everything from from Scrabble to Pictionary, you know, virtually online. We actually had like some of our musician friends and celebrity friends like send messages and videos uh, to the team to kind of give them a laugh and, and brighten up the day a bit. Another thing that we did that was kind of operational is, you know, I, I try to be very in tune with the health of our staff and that's, you know, includes both mental and physical health, making sure that people are are living healthy lifestyles and, and happy. And one of the ways that we do that, you know, every day is that our musicians on call, you know, covers 100% of our team's healthcare. So no one pays out of pocket for their healthcare coverage here. But one of the things that I, I did notice is that to go see a mental health provider, there was a $60 copay for staff to do that. And so I didn't want money to ever be something that prevented someone from getting the health care that they needed, especially around mental health care. And so we created a bonus last year that basically was $120 a month for every employee, which covered them, you know, having two mental health visits if they chose to. If they didn't, then then so be it. They got a $120 bonus each month. Um, but that way, they, there was extra funds for the team to get any sort of uh, mental health support they needed, because I think for all of us, last year was a mental health you know, challenge. And then the last thing was kind of another operational thing was just making sure that people had the tools they needed to succeed. Did you need you know, a monitor at home to go along with your laptop? Uh, or an external keyboard or, or headphones, giving people more flexibility. You know, you don't have to be here in Nashville to continue to work. If you're able to, you know, go to where your family's located and you were going to hunker down there for a few months, then so be it. But just wanted to make sure that people were supported and, you know, especially their mental health was supported because that was, I think, one of the biggest challenges outside of making sure, you know, people stayed healthy without getting the, you know, the virus. It looks like, hopefully, that the pandemic is coming under control uh, in a lot of ways. And so as we come to the end of our time here, can you just give us some thoughts on how this whole thing has informed the way Musicians On Call operates and raises money? And, and what are the takeaways that other organizations can learn from your experience? Yeah, I mean, f for us, there, I think there's a couple of things. Number one is we've always really valued and invested in technology to help us do more. You know, we're a 15-person organization operating in all 50 states and, and served over 150,000 people during the pandemic. So we always use technology to 
kind of punch above our weight class. And I think the the pandemic kind of reinforced that that was important because we started doing virtual programs. Our team was incredibly resilient in getting those started. And that allowed us to keep our business going, even though, you know, the the bones of our organization was performing live in hospitals. And so rather than us having to shut down the organization because we can't be live in hospitals because of the pandemic, our team was able to change directions, invest in the technology, learn how to use it quickly, and actually grow. We grew last year. We served more people than ever. We added new hospitals and new cities. So that was great for us. But here's the other thing that I think, as I've talked to other nonprofit organizations about this, is that the work that allowed us to be successful during the pandemic started years ago. It didn't start during the pandemic. It started when we put together an incredible team. It started when we, you know, decided that, you know, we're going to treat our donors and supporters like people, not just names on a spreadsheet, and we're going to build strong relationships with them. It started when we decided to invest in technology and kind of do things that people hadn't done yet, innovating the technology rather than just kind of keeping things going the way they were. And that type of resiliency help this during the pandemic. Another thing is like, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we were ranked the ninth best charity to work for in America. One of the things that I think contributed to that is that before the pandemic, every Friday people worked from home. And that was really created because we wanted people to have a good work-life balance and not feel stressed out about having to go to the dry cleaner or run errands, um, but had that flexibility. But again, those types of accommodations that we had going on for years made the transition to working from home so much easier for our team because they already were used to it. So again, I think putting in those best practices um, ahead of time helped us. But for those organizations that hadn't, you know, I would recommend looking at those types of things and saying, hey, like this wasn't just a a pandemic fix, but maybe there's other ways that we can be organizing uh, the way we do our business, the way we treat our employees and our donors so that we can carry on some of these things that uh, really helped us during the pandemic. So I, I guess those would be some of our biggest our biggest takeaways. Great. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure our listeners will too, Pete. And that's going so fast. We're actually at the end of our time. So I wanted to thank you again for joining us on the Beacon Podcast. Um, I, I think that our, our listeners will have some really great takeaways from what you've shared today. You can follow Pete on LinkedIn and learn more about Musicians on Call at Musicians oncall.org. Again, this is Margaret Gardner thanking you for listening to the Beacon Podcast. And again, thank you, Pete. We will see you next time on the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.